Yeah, dude, when I talked to Julie Andrews, like, I cleared the house. I had, like, nine recording devices going at the same time. And they had told me, like, look, you're going to get 10 minutes with her, and that's it. And 45 minutes later, like, we're still chatting. And I'm like, and we finish, and we're just talking. I'm like, I'm like, hey, Mr. Julie. And she's like, oh, call me Julie. And I said something like, like, you know, how this movie has such a profound impact on my childhood and sound of music. And she was like, oh, Lou. And I'm like, oh, my God, Mary Poppins just said my freaking name. Like, are you kidding me? Welcome back to Podcast Junkies. Also known as the podcaster's voice. Now, the reason I gave it that tagline is because I'm searching out some interesting folks in podcasting. And I want to let you listen to them in a more relaxed environment, not a formal Q&A. I want them to kick back their heels. I want them to chill out a bit. And I just want them to speak what's on their mind. And we could talk podcasting. Or in the case of this week's interview, we could talk vinyl records and pizza and shoveling sunshine. <laughs> yeah, I'll explain. Or actually, Lou will explain more later. But uh, this week, it's episode 46. It's Lou Mangello, and he's the host of WDW Radio, which, if you don't know, is the premier podcast for all things Walt Disney World related. And if you can think of it as a topic for Walt Disney, then more likely than not, Lou has covered it on the show. Everything from cruises to restaurants, to rides, to attractions, to hotels, to uh, characters, to movies, to actors. It's just a whole whirlwind of Walt Disney World. And um, if you can't get your fix of Walt Disney World here, I don't know where you're going to get it. So he's, he's really a fantastic, really energetic guy. What you see is what you get with Lou, and you'll hear him say that later. And I really found that to be the case when I met him in person at New Media Expo. I was not disappointed. He's really fun and gregarious, and he had just come off uh, winning the uh, podcast awards, uh, Best Travel Podcast. Now it's going on 10 I think 10 years running. So it's just a testament to, to the amount of effort and dedication that he puts in into the show. Um, and I, it's... It's just fantastic to watch. It's fantastic to listen to. And it's always great to speak to people who have that sort of passion because it just makes the conversation that much more fun, that much more interesting. And it gives you, the listener, a feel for who this person is. Uh, and, and in the case of Lou, really, it's the same person. You know, the same person you'll meet in person, in, in live is the person that uh, you hear on the podcast week in and week out. So we talk a bunch of stuff about uh, the actual show, the inspiration for it, and really um, what drove him to start it. And, and, and really, more importantly, what keeps him going um, and why he's so passionate about what he does. Some of the cool things that have happened as a result of the show. And um, a couple of thoughts on, on, on where we're headed um, from a podcasting perspective. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, I had a fantastic conversation. I was not disappointed. So stay tuned uh, till the end of the, the interview for um, uh, my re retention uh, hashtag. <laughs> I just came up with that. It's something that I that might be the new name for it, but it's a way to see if you've been listening to the end and it's a little something to show your support for, for me and for the guest. So stay tuned, enjoy the show and I'll catch you at the end. So Lou Mangiello, thank you so much for joining us on podcast junkies. Hey man, thanks so much for having me, having me, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> You see, guys, this wasn't like multiple takes. We do it natural, so <laughs> keep it as real as we possibly can. So uh, it was nice to run into you finally at uh, New Media Expo, and uh, congratulations again on your uh, award. Yeah, thank you very much, man. It was cool to uh, meet you face-to-face. -face. I had heard your name and heard about the show for a while, so it was nice to literally almost sort of bump into you at the back of the, uh, of the conference floor. So is it, I mean, is it, is it get... Um, I know it's hard. It must be funny to say, but does does it get old? Continue because you've won the, that best travel podcast now since two thousand six, right? Yeah, and and I almost I hate to say that like I won. You know, the the show won, but really is, and, and I mean this sincerely, man. Like the the people, my friends that listen, because I consider them friends, not fans. The people that listen, they're the ones that win that award. They go out, they nominate the show, they go vote every day. So. It's great for me to see them get recognized that way. And 
so you're really i mean what you're saying is that without the support of the fans there's no way that you could have that that sort of uh ongoing wins every year for the podcast Absolutely. It's uh, it really all. And again, I, I don't like the word fans. I mean, but it really, really is all about, you know, having a, a really good, engaged community. And so when, when you first started it and you had the idea for a podcast, did you have an idea that the community would get this big or you were just focused on getting a, a, sh- a show out on a regular basis? <laughs> Dude, it was 2005. I didn't even know that there was a community out there to potentially listen because it was pre-social media. So you know, I, I was doing podcasting at a, at, at a time where it was so brand new and I didn't know if anybody was going to find it and go through all the machinations to actually listen. So I would love to tell you that I had the grand vision of what this podcast was going to become, but that would be a blatant lie. It had to be overwhelming because the <laughs> folks that, I, that I've spoken to, you know, I've spoken to Ray Ortega and Elsie Escobar and Daniel J. Lewis and Dave Jackson, and they talk about really like it's when you say the the technology wasn't there in 2005, it's almost like an understatement, right? Because you're cobbling together a lot of pieces uh, with the hopes that you'll have something that sounds good and that you'll be able to broadcast it. And so what made you think it's something that you could start or who was your inspiration at that time? So it wasn't about a who being an inspiration. I, I've always been sort of a tech geek. I didn't date very much in high school. So um, when I heard about the technology, I just knew about the power of the spoken word over anything that I could write. So a friend and I, who also was a geek and a Disney guy as well, were like, we need to give this a shot. Like, we need to figure this out. And it was, man. It was like figuring out how to hand code an RSS feed and then post it and then explain to people how to download like a juice player and type the feed in. I mean, it was very, very confusing. But very early on, we were able to get an audience. And I was like, wait a minute. I, like, I think we've got something here. I think there are people out there that are starved for this kind of content. And what was the the best way for you to measure listenership back in those days? Uh, I didn't, uh, and I still don't. I am not a numbers guy. I I don't care about numbers. I do the same show for one person that I would do for 5,000, 50,000, or 5 million. So when we first started the show, we're like, wow, 250 people. Like, that was the only thing we needed. Like, okay, somebody's listening. And for me, I was like, that's all I need. Like, if that one guy's listening, I'm going to keep on going. So unless I'm talking to a sponsor, I never check my numbers. I don't really care. And so when was the moment when you realized that you were having an impact on folks? You know, a lot of times for first-time podcasters, it's their first conference and they run into a fan and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm happy to hear your show or or thanks for the show or something like that. So what, what was your moment like that when you first started the podcast? When I started to get emails from people, and it wasn't just, hey, man, I think the show's cool, I get my Disney fix, but you don't realize, man, the the sometimes profound impact that you have on somebody's life. And it and it's mind-boggling, and I'm sure you know, too. You get emails like, hey, man, this show impacted me, and it made me do this. You've done something to potentially change somebody's life for the better, it happened early on, and uh, it was a response that I never could have imagined. I'm like, I'm talking about Disney World and rides and Mickey Mouse and food and things like that. Um, but if you can bring a little bit of happiness into somebody's life, that's the best reward. And so the origins of the podcast, you know, from from what I've heard, I've heard, uh, listened to you speak about it on a couple of shows, and you were really, really affected in a positive way from your first uh, Disney World experience, right? Yeah, I went uh, when I was three years old in 1971 and went back with my parents every year. And the thing I fell in love with wasn't necessarily the attractions. Look at me. Obviously, I like the food as well. But it was the uh, it was the memories that I created with my family. But it's funny because a lot of kids, when they go to those sort of parks, you know, they're really impacted because everything seems so much bigger when you're younger, right? When you're tiny and you, and you go to Universal Studios, you go to Disneyland, you go even Six Flags, you're just like amazed. And then it's funny because sometimes you go back as an adult and you're like, wow, I was, every, I was kind of amazed at this stuff when I was little. But now that I come back, it's sort of like, um, you know, the, the shine has worn off a bit. But it seems like something about Disney World always held something magical for you year over year. Yeah, I actually had the opposite reaction. Um, As I went back and as we were continuing to go back and I was loving it and I saw that all these other people kept going back, I'm like, what is it? Like, what keeps bringing us back and all these other people back? So I learned everything I could about the park and the infrastructure and the engineering and the operation and the cast members. And the more I learned, the more fascinating it became to me 
And that's what sort of led to me uh, eventually writing a book that I wanted to read about Disney, sort of the thing that I was interested in with the details and the trivia. Um, and that really sort of the, the, the snowball rolling downhill. What year was that, the, the very first book that you wrote about Disney? Uh, I started writing in 2003. Okay. Because before that, you had actually written a book about uh, DJing, the DJ handbook. <laughs> oh, man, you've done your homework. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I've always sort of had this entrepreneurial spirit. So I, I was a lawyer, and I had an IT consulting company. Um, and even before that, uh, I had uh, started a DJ business when I was in, in high school and college. And I, again, was frustrated because there was no book to teach you how to do it. If you didn't know a DJ, you couldn't learn other than by trial and error or, or somebody taught you. So I was like, I'm going to write the book. I Again, I wrote the book I wanted to read, which was a DJ handbook. And, and at the beginning, I literally was printing it. I did it on WordPerfect for DOS 5.0. I printed it out at home. I was using a spiral binder in my basement and putting ads in magazines. And, you know, it's uh, the, there was a little entrepreneur in Little Lou Mangello. <laughs> well, that, um, you know, listeners will, will know that I'm going to jump all over this because my background <laughs> is as a DJ as well. So I'm, I've been you know, 20 plus years and I grew up with the Techniques 1200s and I'll, yeah. I'll do a little <laughs> right there. You can see my vinyl collection. Oh, I dig it, man. I love it. You still got your turntables. I still got my turntables and, and that, uh, that's a famous bookcase in, uh, for DJs. Uh, it's, it's Ikea. It's one of those ones you turn sideways and then I put the, the heavy duty caster wheels, casters on the, on the bottom and I can roll it around and stuff. So there's probably some more. My parents are dying to have me removed from, <laughs> from that, their house. They're like, please, what are you, what are we going to do with this vinyl? Can you just get rid of it? I'm like, no. Don't touch it, and I'm sure <laughs> you're the same way with your collectibles. Yeah, well, yeah, man, look, and how many people right now going vinyl and caster wheels and carrying around in milk crates? They're like, I bring my iPad, and I'm done, because that's, you know, that's how it's done now. Yeah, so what, did you specialize in any kind of music, or are you doing weddings, or... <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is going to be embarrassing. So I was, look, I grew up in Jersey, man. And I, you know, I dug like dance music and house music. And so I love doing, you know, I love creating like remixes and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, you do things to pay the bills. So I was doing college parties and occasional weddings and Christmas parties. I didn't like doing weddings. It was too much pressure. Like, because if I screwed up, like I blew the most important day in their life. So Christmas parties, everybody was liquored up. It wasn't a big deal. And college parties, who cares? So it was just having fun. Well, it's funny because we're probably separated by a couple of years. I was born in 1970. So, I mean, I think in terms of the, the, the time, I, I probably know the collection of records you have. <laughs> and especially since you're from New, New Jersey and you mentioned in the past that you, you would take your, your holiday vacations at Seaside Heights, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We might have even gone to the same clubs. I think. Possibly. Because <laughs> I grew up in New York. I grew up in Yonkers. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All so, right. so uh, yeah, I just moved to L.A. like a year ago, a year and a half ago. But, uh, yeah, my, I, was, I, was, I, mean, I was born in El Salvador, but I was right at a year old. I came to Yonkers. And so my whole life, I went to high school in White Plains. All um, right. So, yeah, yeah, DJing uh, high, high, school, <laughs> high school parties and lugging around the milk crates. Um, it, was, it was an interesting way to actually be social at that time because that's about how you, how you get out and about meet people. Yeah, very true. It, uh, and it's funny how you start from there and now look at us. You know, you, Now you're sort of still behind, but now instead of just sort of talking, introducing things and, and, and songs and stuff, you're, uh, you're able to share a lot more and, and have much more creative input too. And what's funny is you talked about the, um, how you were so fascinated with uh, Walt Disney World and, and everything around the park and then digging deeper everything about um, how it was created, the Imagineers, Walt Disney himself. Um, and and it's, this, it's almost this innate natural born curiosity that a lot of people have, but they just don't decide to go further and further with it and, and see what they can possibly make out of it. And obviously, um, you, like you said, you were a lawyer before and, um, and a successful club DJ. <laughs> Or maybe not, but <laughs> maybe not on that one. But um, what's interesting is that when I first got into this whole internet marketing space that eventually led to podcasting, I, I wanted to create a mobile app and it was for electronic music DJs. And again, just following your mantra of like, do something that I'm really passionate about and dig into it. I was like, well, if I'm going to create a mobile app, I might as well do something that I know and that I'll be interested in. So I guess that was like your mindset when you started to dig deeper on, on uh, your, your love of Walt Disney World. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and I'm a huge proponent. I know the word passion is thrown around quite a bit, but I do believe you need to love what you do. Like I love what I freaking do every day and I get excited and, and I like I work seven days a week and it never feels like work. And I think I, I, you hear from so many people, oh, I'm going to start a podcast. Everybody's going to write a book. There's a huge nexus between the people that say they're going to write a book and the people that actually sit down and start writing. And that's where everybody sort of gets lost in, you know, you've got the idea or you've got this dream or whatever and actually going out and executing on it. That's sort of where the, you know, that's what separates the <laughs> the men from the boys. And so uh, and w- w- was it specifically like that part? Because obviously now Walt Disney World is like a whole enterprise, right? There's Walt Disney World, there's Disneyland, and then there's obviously the parks that go across to the other countries. Um, I'm assuming you've been to Disneyland as well? I have. I love me some Disneyland. <laughs> I think you were mentioning on one of the shows how you actually prefer the Tomorrowland of Disneyland, I think you are saying. There's a, yeah, man, I, I, it's Space Mountain and Ghost Galaxy, and yeah, there's a lot that I dig about your Tomorrowland. Um, so... When you decided to to go in and have the the podcast, um, I'm just fascinated about how you just d- dive in and you just figured. Did you have like a format laid out, or did you f- you know decide what you were going to talk about, or you just figured there's plenty here and just I'm going to turn on the mic every week and I'm just going to keep talking until I run out of stuff to talk about. I, again, I would love to tell you I had my first 20 shows mapped out. I knew exactly what I was going to do. I had a, a, a general format, and I used to do a, a show with a lot of different segments in it. Now I do sort of a, a single segment and trivia and a little bit. But the idea was simply to make the listener feel as though they were sitting around a table, like at a diner in Jersey, with a couple of friends just talking about the things that they loved about Walt Disney World. So I wanted to enhance their appreciation of the park and their enjoyment of their next visit. So whether it was vacation planning or an interview, and look, I'm a fan first, right? So it was interviewing people that I wanted to talk to. um, And and that's the thing. And that's where, you know, people can tell if you really love what you're talking about or if it's a job, if you're just sort of going through the motion. So look, you know, as podcasters, I think we're always still figuring out what works. And so, were there times that when you started where you figured like you were ready to throw in the towel or you just you felt that this was something you would you, you could keep doing? I when I started, it was let's just start and see what happens. And then it was, all right, well, this is fun. Let's just keep going and see what happens. And then at one point you start to realize like, hey, I, I might have something here. Um, and it, I. Harry, I never set out for this to be anything more than just something I enjoyed doing it on the side. Yeah, we started doing, you know, I had started doing like a little bit of AdSense and some affiliate things just to help pay the bills. Um, And it really all changed when I got a phone call one day from someone who's like, hey, I love what you're doing. This is what my company's name is. What do you charge to sponsor the show? And it was dead silence. It was dead silence because I had no idea what to, how to answer. Yeah, I've heard that a couple of times before that you, you don't even know, and then you put out a number, and, and like they always say when you're trying to do these things, if they response very quickly to your the first number you threw out there, then you know the number was too low. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, what was the inflection point then where this actually became really like a full fledged business? So after that call, uh, it really was an eye-opening experience for me. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know, I I think there's something here. And as I was traveling back and forth often, like twice a month from New Jersey to Florida to do research or go to events, and and I started getting invited to media events, um, I I was making money, but I wasn't making enough that I could quit the job I was doing. But I said, look, if I want to do this, and I think I can, and I don't know what the plan is. I don't know how I'm actually going to do it yet, but if if I want to do it, I need to be there. I need to be where what I do is, which is in Orlando. So I had um, left the practice. I was a chief technology officer for a medical imaging company, so I had a really cushy job playing on the internet all day, like doing my Disney stuff, but I, I left it, and I sold my house, and I brought money to my closing, and I moved to a house in Florida that I hadn't even seen yet that my parents rented for me online, and I, I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have a game plan, but I knew, Harry, I, the, the, my fear was that five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, I would regret, like, man, what would have happened if I gave it a shot? And I said, look, if it doesn't work, I, I'll go get a job at Denny's. Like, I'll make sure my, my kids can eat a couple of times a week. <laughs> 
Yeah, the breakfast grand slam is actually pretty good. Exactly. <laughs> Listen, ramen noodles, why not? Oh man, that's it's so important, Lou. Like, I mean, I mean, there's so many people that that you know are, are listening that are going to listen that have been at that point when you know it's probably the scariest point at which to make the jump because you see that there's potential for what you're doing. You know that you're going to be passionate about it, and you know that when you make the jump, you're going to go head first and you're going to give it all you got. And you're not going to look back. Like they say, burn the bridges, right? You know, there's no other option. There's no plan B. I'm here. I landed and we're going to, I'm going to have to make it happen because, you know, there's nothing else I can fall back on. And, you know, I don't know, you know, what else propelled you besides your passion, but I I wonder if there's, there's something um, other other than what you've already articulated that really is, is really the point that that, that you said, you know what, this is it. I I, got to do it. Well, I'll tell you, you said, is there something else other than my passion? Harry, I'm going to tell you, man, fear is a great motivator, (laughs) you know? Fear like, hey, man, if I don't get up off my butt and make something happen, like you're the, as an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, you're not just steering the ship. Sometimes you're the only guy on the ship. So you got to do a little bit of everything. You're the sales guy. You're the marketing guy. You're the content guy. You're the producer. You've got to juggle a lot of balls and there's no excuses and there's no day off you need to go make that happen. And I dig that, man. Like, that's what fuels my machine. Is And even 12, uh, 12, 13 years later, whatever it is, like, I still get fear all the time. And that continues to sort of propel me forward. Yeah, because it's funny, because once it's your own business, like, you, you know, you are the captain of the ship. And, you know, uh, um, if, if you've got folks that are dependent on you, not just for the show, but depending on the success of the podcast for their livelihood, it starts to get even more scary because then, you know, their future is in your hands as well. Absolutely. And, and, you know, having children and look, if you're a solo guy, it's easier. You know, listen, if you fail, not a big deal. When you have a wife, when you have kids, when you have a mortgage, you have all these like real adult responsibilities, you can sort of, you go and you see those kids sleeping and you're like, hey man, you know what? You might be tired, but you got to go put a couple more hours in because these kids are depending on you for the rent, rent, for the tuition so that they can eat. And to say, you know, I'm trying to set an example for my kids, you know, not just that you can do whatever you want, but a certain type of work ethic too. Yeah, because it's it's almost like a that's severely lacking in, I don't know, some in kids you see nowadays. And, and you notice it when someone has that, that, that inner fire at a young age. And, you know, it's, it's probably something you can relate to because it's something that you had because that, that passion, uh, part of it probably can be taught, but it's almost like when you see that fire in, in someone that's young, you want to nurture it as much as you can. Yeah. And, I, and it's funny, all these secondary and, and tertiary businesses have grown out of this Disney thing. You know, I do, um, you know, I, I do some coaching and I do some consulting and I do a lot of speaking and I love speaking to schools and to kids because if you could reach a couple of those kids in middle school or high school or whatever grade level and all of a sudden their eyes widen, they're like, wait a minute, I don't have to do what my dad did, which was go to school, go to college, get a job I hate and then do what I like on the weekends and nights. You know, it, it's a, it's, it's incredibly rewarding when you see a kid come up to you afterwards and say, well, hey, this is what I want to do, and then they go and do it, right? Because they've got the tools and the opportunity to blog or podcast or start a YouTube channel. Nobody has to award it to them, and I like those kids, and I use kids in, in air quotes, that don't have that sense of entitlement that we see so many people having, even in our space, right? Even in the podcasting, you know, like, oh, I hey, man, I've been podcasting for three months. Like, where's my money? Like, that's not how it works, man. Like, you got to put in the time and the hours like anything else and the sacrifice. Yeah, I think that's, it bears repeating because this is, this is really a, a long view type of venture type of business right because you know if if you wanted to get in and 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 follow a path of certain folks that we know that have have, have done very 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 well <laughs> in the podcasting space and then you think well you know I'll just mimic what they did and I'll just have that same luck um it's not going to happen and there's probably dozens of times where you're just going to feel like like quitting and I, I think that's almost um a reason for you to double down and just keep at it that much harder yeah, and, and I do not subscribe. And I know it works for some people, and that's cool, but I don't believe in the blueprint or the formula or whatever it is. Um, you know, I, I don't even have, like, 
a marketing strategy, sales funnel, drip sequence, but I don't do any of that stuff. Like, you know, this is who I am. All I can bring you is my experience. And because I think it's got to be organic, man, you've got to do what just feels right. If you try and follow a formula that's not right for you or not right for your audience, it's not going to work. You've got to do what is going to resonate with them and what's going to feel good and right to you and not something so formulaic and blueprinted that it's not really who you are. And I think what's more important is like just even in your dis- description of that, um, the passion comes through, right? Because if you're not passionate about what you do and you're just excited to wake up every morning and this is like add value and be genuine too, because there's a lot of folks that are just BS and, and you know, even just within this space, like people that you've heard on a show or, and then you, you meet them in, in real life and they're just like, well, you don't sound at all like that, <laughs> right. like that interview or just why do you have this different voice? And it's like, you're not genuine. And, and the, the podcast that I listen to, the folks that I, I resonate with and the folks that I, I like have coming on the show are just, I, I use the hashtag real talk. It's people that are genuine and that when you hear them and when the audience hears them, you can tell that there's a passion behind that voice. And I think in this medium, what I love about it is it forces the, the curtain to go away. And what I mean by that is you can't fake it on a podcast. Your audience is going to be able to tell if you love what you're talking about or not. Look, if I did a podcast about cupcakes next week because I thought there was money to be made in the cupcake space, I'd fail miserably because they could – well, all right, I, I like cup, cupcakes, so that's a bad example. But they would tell – I'd fail because – cupcake isn't in my DNA. It's not what I love talking about. And they can hear it. You know, man, they can, they can tell when you're passionate. They can tell when you're angry. They can tell when you're crying or emotional. I tell podcasters all the time, smile when you podcast because people can hear it. Yeah, it's funny. That's actually really good advice because um, you know sometimes I stand when I'm when I'm doing interviews as well because it, it, it changes like your body structure and like you said like even if it's silly if you're just the only one in a room there's no reason you can't just laugh out loud or or scream like no one's gonna hear maybe your neighbors I don't know <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't matter because like you said when people are smiling behind the mic you can really really hear it and it comes through and it's just those are the type of people that you really want to hear more of right. Yeah. And, and people say, oh, you know, I, I, I record my podcast and it takes me six hours to edit out all the ums and all the – and I'm like, what are you doing? Like that's not how we talk. Your audience I think wants to hear you be you because that's who they're listening to. They're not listening to, listen to the content. They like Harry. They want to hear Harry. They want to hear you mess up. They want to hear you laugh. They want to hear you you know, go off on a, on a rant or a tangent because they like you. Yeah, they don't want an automaton. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I guess in the beginning, I just I was thinking about the the name of the show. You called it WD Radio because at, at that time it was probably you're not you weren't even thinking of like podcast being like <laughs> the, a hot word at the time. You're like, yeah, radio. Like everyone knows radio. I'll call it that. Absolutely, totally deliberate choice. Uh, because look, it's 2015. We're still explaining to people what a podcast is, right? So I said, look, the the word radio immediately conveys that it's some sort of audible content and that's why i chose it how much time do you spend on those intros i've I heard like I've, I've, I've listened to several and then in the beginning i'm like oh this is cute he puts a couple of the, the the changing of the of the radio station dial and you, and it jumps to different snippets and then i started hearing to a couple more and i'm like wait a minute these are different yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, he, is he, are you creating these like for every single episode yeah, four, I'm on 412 or whatever it is, and every one of them has been different. And I dig it. Like, that's part of the creative process. And again, it, it helps the listener who can't get to Disney. It connects them to the experience. Like, oh, I know that sound. Oh, I can hear the train whistle. Oh, I, I, that, that bit of a song or a line from an attraction. So I know that immediately that makes people happy and, and sort of gets them into what we're talking about. So you're still doing your own editing. Yeah, man, I still do my, <laughs> I still, uh, every now and then I'll get some help on, on the intros and stuff, but I still do my own editing. I still do my own feed. I actually like still somewhat hand code my feed because I've been doing it <laughs> for, for so many years. Um, I, I do. I, I like the process. Um, even when I'm up late and I'm exhausted, you know, whether it's picking the right sound or picking the right music or, you know, whatever it might be, um, it, it's a part of the thing that I still really enjoy doing. 
I would. I, I wonder if some of that comes from your DJ background. <laughs> <laughs> it could be, right? <laughs> yeah, because I have fun. And even if you got somebody else to do it, I'm like, it still wouldn't be the way I would do it. Like, I would have done things a little bit differently here. So uh, I know what I've recorded. I know what's going to you know, sound right or be right. Um, and I do it. It's it still allows me to be creative in addition to doing all the business side of you know running the business of what we do. How big is uh, the 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 enterprise or, or or the business now? Has it has it grown to the point where you're you're adding more folks to help you out? <laughs> so on paper, really, it's me, right? So I, I'm the guy. I I, I am the uh, the chief cook and bottle washer, but I am really fortunate, man, because I have a great team of people behind me and. The, the team of people have all come from the community. They're, they've all come from the tribe. So if I say, hey, I need help, people come to volunteer. Or people say, hey, Lou, I love the show. Is there some way I can be involved? I'd love to write. So I've got like a team of 30 blog writers. I've got newsletter editors. I've got people that help with, you know, events and graphics and, and you know, the charity aspect of what we do. Um, and all these people want to do is just be a part of something that they enjoy. So I, I'm very grateful and very fortunate and very blessed. And if people are looking to build their team, that's the first thing I tell them is, is to look inside and go right to your audience first. Yeah, and, it's, and you have a, a subject uh, that people are just tend to go pretty crazy about, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like when you talk about people who are like diehards, you know, it's like Disney and, and there's a whole community of folks who are, you know, there's obviously there's travel packages and businesses that are just centered around disney and 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 everything around that and people that can coordinate the trip for you so i imagine as as your exposure grew and grew is there like an ecosystem that you get connected to where all these different folks that focus on different aspects of the disney empire sort of you guys get to talk every now and then yeah, there, there's the bubble, you know, there's sort of the, the Disney bubble and inside that bubble, um, there's a lot of little Venn diagrams of some things that overlap because there's people that love the parks, there's people that love the collecting, there's people that love the movies, they love the pins, they love, you know, Disneyland. So, but there's a lot of overlap sort of inside that bubble and look, it's a huge bubble and the Disney brand, I don't think any other brand can compete with it in terms of brand loyalty and the emotional connection that people have to Disney, whether it's inside out making you cry or memories of going to Disneyland as a kid and, and you know, being on your dad's shoulders. Um, there is something very, very emotional. I think that's why people are so passionate about it. So do you connect with those folks every now and then and maybe reach out for them opportunities to have them on the show? Like let's say the, the person who specializes in uh, just Disney figurines. Yeah, so I've been doing the show for, you know, 10 plus years and I've never monologued a show. I've always had a guest with me. Uh, it could be a Disney legend. It could be a celebrity. It could be an artist. It could be a listener who's like, hey, I have an interest in this or here's an idea for a topic for a show. And I'm like, cool, man, let's let's do it. Um, the show, I, I say, is for people and by them and with them. And, um, you know, they bring a lot of value and content to it, too. And again, they want to be part of it. So it allows me to have uh, another voice. And as I'm sure you know, it's a lot easier to do a two-person show than it is to do a one-person show. Yeah, I've, I've, I've done two solo episodes. <laughs> and you you very quickly realize, like, you have to have a script you're reading from or, or like, the, obviously, what's, what's a good topic is you do the year-end recap and at least you have some, something to talk about. But yeah, uh, a lot of folks are doing a format where they invite someone on and they, they call them the co-host. The co so I've seen that format used a lot to some success. Um, you mentioned that you had, uh, obviously, some of your heroes and idols on and um, I, I listened to the episode you had with uh, Julie Andrews. <laughs> <laughs> which was which was interesting to me because it's sort of in a sort of a roundabout way, you know. I I remember watching like Mary Poppins when I was when I was younger, and I was like, oh, was, you know, it was fun. It was a fun movie. But then we were on Netflix, my wife and I, and we saw Saving Mr. Banks, mm -hmm. and so I said, well, that's interesting. Tom Hanks, you know, is always always uh, puts in a good turn, and it was funny because it, it speaks to that mentality you had of like peering behind the scenes of like what's going on, and so this was a behind the scenes of Mary Poppins. And it completely, completely changed the movie. It completely, like, it said, you know, I was like, wait a minute, did did I see that movie? Because I, so obviously, immediately after that, we go back to Netflix. We're like, Mary Poppins, man, let's go watch it yeah. again. So we we watch it again, and it was 
it was crazy. It was crazy because you had the whole backstory of, of like, uh, you know, the, the story that was told in Saving Mr. Banks. And, you know, it was just, it just became that much more dramatic. And every single thing that they did, and, and, and when Mary Poppins was talking about, um, you know, the backstory of where she came from, and you're just like, wow, this is, this is really, <laughs> really, really had a lot of layers. And I guess as a child, you watch it and you get one layer. But then later on as an adult, and, and especially knowing the backstory, um, yeah, it was just fascinating when you have that opportunity to just see it, see it on, on, on a whole bunch of different levels. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things, the great blessings of what I've been able to do is getting to talk to some of those people, you know, like a Julie Andrews, like a Richard Sherman, and hearing the stories behind the stories about how a movie gets made or how, you know, a, a, you know, a, a producer or Alan Menken, how, how music is made for Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast. And all of a sudden, you're right, you go back and you look at it with a completely different set of eyes. It, it, must, be, it must be interesting. I mean, I, I know that it's something that you expect is going to happen because... You're in. You have a, a show about Disney, and you have uh, as an out as an uh, as a goal uh, for you and for your audience to be able to reach to speak to folks that you think would be of interest to um, the people who listen to the show. Uh, I imagine, though, there's still some aspect of that where you're like, "Wow, I can't believe I'm talking to this person." Yeah, dude, when I talked to Julie Andrews, like I cleared the house. I had like nine recording devices going on at the same time, and they had told me. Like, look, you're going to get 10 minutes with her and that's it. And 45 minutes later, like we're still chatting and I'm like, and we finish and we're just talking. I'm like, I'm like, Mr. Julia. And she's like, oh, call me Julie. And I said something like, like, you know, how this movie has such a profound impact on my childhood and sound of music. And she was like, oh, Lou. And I'm like, oh my God, Mary Poppins just said my freaking name. Like, are you kidding me? It was, you know. Um, and it's one of those names like I knew that my mom would know who Julie Andrews was. Like she might not know anybody else, but I was like, all right, mom, look, look at who I got to interview. So that's a, like we always have that moment. We have that moment where um, we have that guest that has like recognition beyond our podcasting bubble. And you're like, you know, even my wife sometimes I'm like, oh, I spoke to this person. Like who? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea who that person is. And she's listened to some of my episodes. She's like, ah, I don't, I don't really know a lot of those names you're mentioning there. I'm not really, I'm not your fan. I'm not like your core audience. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, but it's funny. Cause I've, I've been like thinking like actively about other people I've, I'd like to speak to, because obviously since I'm speaking to podcast host, you know, I, initially I start in our circle of uh, internet marketing folks and business folks, but I'm like, oh man, I want to expand out. I'm going to speak to people who who do other things, comedians, and and um, I was I was so I mean, talk about having big aspirations. There's probably nothing bigger than Obama being on you know Mark Marin's podcast. Right. <laughs> so you're like, okay, that's it. You just aim big and you know figure out who you want to speak to. So um, like to that point. How how's your wish list of, of folks you you still got to speak to? Like who who do you have in mind? It's pretty short, man, because Mary Poppins, like Mary Poppins, Julie Andrews was like way up there, and I was like, how did you do it? Like, what's the secret? What's the formula? I'm like, all right, you want to know how I got? You want to know how I got Richard Sherman? I called him, and like what? I'm like, yeah, I sort of did some borderline stalkerish looking up online, and I found his phone number, and I called him, and I talked to his wife for 45 minutes, and three days later he was on the show. Um, and sometimes that's what it is. It, it's just as easy as asking. Uh, I, the only person I think that I, I sort of have on my wish list is Michael Eisner, who was the former CEO uh, of Disney. Uh, I think he gets a bad rap. A lot of people remember him for how he left the company and why he left. But he fostered so much change and so much positive growth. I would love to have him on one day. I imagine that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, I always say you got to put your put the intentions out to the universe because if you don't even say out loud publicly what it is you want, how can you expect for it to happen? Absolutely. And look, you know, you never know who's listening. Yeah, and, and there's probably there's probably a, a Disney song we could insert at this moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fairy tales can come true. Exactly. <laughs> um, so you talked about your your content plan. Um, you mentioned I think it was I think it was in your demo reel for for when you. Um, that you have on your website, but one thing that that you said that uh, stood out is said you said podcasting is not enough, and I think that the, the the point you were trying to make there is if if that's your only content uh, strategy, then you need to do more. Absolutely, um, and there, there's a fine line between the be everywhere philosophy and trying to do too much. 
what I think you need to do, like for me, podcasting is sort of the hub, right? It's the nucleus of what I do. But around that hub, I have many spokes of the wheel, right? So I do, you know, written content. I do video. I do live broadcasts every week. I, I'm a big proponent of taking things offline and doing events. I have audio products, video products, print products, magazine products, you know, personal things. So you have to have a lot of very diverse ways, and it really boils down to creating content in the way that people are most comfortable consuming it. So some pe- people might be the three-minute video people. Other people people might want to listen to an hour-long podcast. And the more that you create, the more monetization opportunities you can create as well. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, it's really important because you can't limit yourself. And, and it's only when you find that one um, fan or listener that came in through a channel that you really weren't thinking too much about and you're like, wow, I didn't even realize that we should be putting, like you said, a three-minute video or, or something on Instagram or, or a tweet because um, everyone has their favorite channel. And, and when they come into those channels, they usually tend to be repeat customers over that same channel. And so you, you can't sort of, predict, like you said, it's, it's, it just bears repeating that it's very, very important um, to be, to, I guess, be everywhere, but be everywhere strategically. Be everywhere strategically and be everywhere organically. You know, there's some people that... LinkedIn is going to work well for them, and there's going to be no engagement on on Snapchat. Whereas for other people, they might, you know, YouTube might be the medium that's going to work best for their audience. You got to find out what it is, and then sort of really, um, you know, feed the beast uh, on that side. How far ahead do you plan the the content? And do, <laughs> I like how you smile when I asked. <laughs> and you're like, uh, I'm just wondering because there's always. Although there's a there's a rich repository of, of things to draw from, are, are you thinking one episode ahead, one month ahead? <laughs> See, if I was smart, I'd say, listen, man, I know what the next 10 episodes are. Sometimes I'm scrambling on Sunday. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to get a show out today. All right, let's do a live restaurant review. Come on, guys. Um, it, it really depends. Um, it, again, it, it sort of goes back to what feels organic this week. I have a list of, of ideas that I never really go to because this week I might say, oh, hey, there's a new Tomorrowland movie coming out. Let's talk about the top 10 things we love about Tomorrowland. Or, hey, th- there's this going on in the news. Let's do a show about X. And oftentimes it really does come together that week. Um, I wish I had three shows in the can, so I'm not scrambling, but that's not often how it happens. Yeah, it's funny. I know a lot of uh, podcasters are, are shaking their head right now, and they're like, oh, I can relate. Because <laughs> it sounds like the best laid plans. And, you know, we're on, all not the John Lee Dumas machine recording eight episodes in one day, and then you're set for the week. So, But that, listen, that, that model works for some people, and, and it, you know, different models work for others. I like just sort of, this is what I'm feeling today. This is what I'm feeling this week. So, you know, all this comes from uh, your, your, your passion about all things Walt Disney World. Was there, were there signs that this was coming? Like if I were to ask your parents and I could see a bunch of collectibles in the background <laughs> as well. So is there some aspect to your nature where like, oh, oh you know, I asked your mom like, oh, so how'd this start? Well, Lou, you know, he go, when, when Lou goes in all in on something, he really dives head first. <laughs> She she probably would say that um, because, you know, as a kid growing up, if I was, you know, in when I was into martial arts, I was all into martial arts. And when I was into BMX, I had to have every single piece of equipment for my bike. Um, hindsight being 2020, she'd say, yeah, you know, he always had this love of Disney. We went every year. She probably never would have said it would have turned into a business. I don't think anybody would have predicted that, myself included. So I'm assuming, I'm assuming as you... You're older now. You have an appreciation for what exactly it takes to get kids into a car and to drive them <laughs> to Walt Disney World or, or, or Disneyland. Yeah, man. It's, uh, <laughs> you want to the, test the, 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 the limits of your familial bonds? Get in a car in the middle of summer and drive to Disney World for a week. And then if you still love each other when it's all over, you got a good thing going. Man, I really like, you know... Hats off to my dad because, like I said, we were in New York and we had uh, his. Uh, my grandmother lived in Los Angeles, so we want. He wanted to do the family road trip, you know, this straight out of the Griswolds. <laughs> and he said, "We're going from New York uh, through Texas and over to California." And we ended up at, at Disneyland. Well, that was one of the trips. We also eventually did uh, Disney World as well. But I mean, 
cross country is like four or five days, six days, and it's like we're, we're, we're not old enough to drive. I was in fourth grade, and so just a station wagon full of kids trying to – no iPads at that point. And so like there's all the distractions nowadays, but I just can't imagine this is like – early 80s and they're playing like the same 10 songs on the on the <laughs> on the radio or you have that cassette tape and after you know looping it around four or five times you're like okay you know there's certain songs that stick with you just because you only heard, heard them like 30 40 50 times and god re- you actually had to talk to each other like oh i did it too man when i was a kid um, my dad was a lawyer too and the courts used to close in august so we actually took a five-week road trip across country we went across the top came down and then came back through the south to Disney World and went up to Jersey again. And I learned more in those five weeks than I ever realized I was at the time. But you're right. We had books, like no digital devices. We were talking. But thankfully, man, we had no cell phones. We had no pagers. Like you did. You talked to each other and you played the serial game and you the license plate game. And, you know, I know kids are Googling right now what that is. But you did. And, and now – not to sound all preachy, but, you know, we're so busy doing this. We're looking down that we forget the face-to-face. And that's why, like, I do so much of my community, like, in person because we forget about the importance of, of the handshake and a hug. It's so funny because it's we just happen to be coming out of the 4th of July weekend. And so my, my wife made some really nice plans to head up to a place called Mammoth Lake. I, I hadn't heard of it and did some research. It was gorgeous, really, just lakes, pristine mountains. We're right by Yosemite. And... It's something what you just alluded to that that ability ability to disconnect and reconnect with nature <clears throat> or with like where you are on the road or taking taking the sights. You know, there's so many distractions nowadays. And I found myself at with some free time, and I happened to have my phone with me. Um, and I saw that I did have a signal, but I w- almost went out of my way to not look. And I said, you know what? I can whatever it is. It's like yeah. you know. Unless someone's dying, like I don't need to know. I don't need to see that email. I don't need to see that tweet. I don't need to check traffic for my podcast. Like I have, if we don't have those disconnection moments, like you know, they're so far and few in between. We need to like treat them like with so much respect when we when we finally have them. I'm with you, man. I um I do a, a group cruise with my audience every year. We do a Disney cruise and we go to the Caribbean. This year we went to Alaska. And when they got Wi-Fi on the cruises, I'm like, no, like, I, oh, man, because it used to be when you went on a cruise, you had to disconnect unless you, like, as a kid, I remember having a girlfriend, I had to go down to the radio room and they had to radio in and connect. It would cost like $19 a minute. But now, you know, there's Wi-Fi on board, which is super fast. And, you know, I can live stream from the, the middle of the, uh, the Atlantic Ocean, but I don't want to. Like, I want to, we came to, we went to Alaska and I love, like you said, that pristine, untouched beauty. I'm like, kids, man, see it with your own eyes, not through a lens. Like, put your phones down and just watch. Yeah, they almost have to be. And then they played Crossy Road. So <laughs> <laughs> they have to be reminded of it because it's almost like when you're born into it. You know, you see, I've, I see like two, three year old kids now, you give them an iPad. And they instinctively like know what to do. Like yeah. within a couple of hours, they figured it out. So there's something innate our, about our ability to do that, but that doesn't necessarily mean we should be doing it. It's a different world, man. It's a different. We have to just have the the come to Jesus moment and accept that you know it is what it is. Uh, as a parent, I know sometimes I'm like, look, just let the kid on his iPhone for five minutes, so they have you know five minutes of peace in the back of the car. So we do need sort of to take a more proactive approach to um, you know. You guys got to put it down and sort of appreciate what you're seeing outside. That's why I like, you know, train trips and car trips and, you know, disconnect and just try and look out the window a little bit. Yeah, even flights nowadays, you know, they've got the Wi-Fi in there. So hopefully they'll never allow people to talk uh, on a plane because that's almost like the last bastion of of semi-silence at like 35,000 feet. I can neither confirm nor deny that I've live broadcasted from 30,000 feet before. I'm just <laughs> so <laughs> we'll just leave it at that then. Yeah. How was uh how was Alaska? It's um it's like having kids and what I mean by that is people can tell you all about the experience up and down, but until you actually have it for yourself, until you experience what it's like for yourself, it is this untouched beauty and it just makes you realize how small you are in the grand scheme of things and these beautiful glaciers that's a color you can't describe i call it tesseract blue because it's like they're glowing this amazing blue color it's spectacular spectacular it's funny it's like i 
I mean, I know exactly what you're saying because I, you know, I took my wife to see uh, the Grand Canyon because she's uh, from Colombia. So she, she, you know, I like taking her to, to famous spots in in this country. And that feeling when your jaw just kind of like drops, and everywhere you look, there's like nature. Like there's no there's no buildings in sight. <laughs> like as far as you can see, straight ahead. As far as you can see, like you know, behind you to the left and to the right. Just like you know, in, the, in terms of the Grand Canyon, it's like whoa, just just rock and rock and rock and just crazy. And, and then this past weekend, it was just mountains and mountains and mountains. And it's it's really awe inspiring. Takes your breath away. It does, man. It's one of the things you can't. Don't go YouTube it. Don't watch a video or look at pictures. Like you need to go and see it yourself. Um, what, what, what other parts of the country or, or even the, the world have you seen and that you can attribute directly to the uh, WDW radio? <laughs> I'm laughing because I, I do. I have like the best job on the planet and, and I really, and I am sincerely grateful for the opportunities that come up because I have, look, I, I, you know, Disney world is my office, right? So it's where I go sometimes to do work or research, but it's also let me go to Disneyland I've had to do work at Aulani, the Disney Resort in Hawaii. I've gone on, you know, multiple cruises, um, you know, for work, hosting cruises with my audience. But I'm, it's also led to me doing a lot of speaking. So I've gone around the country and I'm going to the Philippines next year and I've gone to Cancun and, you know, and all these things came out of one small, stupid idea like, oh, I'm thinking about writing a book and all I really know about is Disney and that little idea, and the lesson is that the takeaway is you never know what one little idea might end up being and what it becomes. And now, you know, like I said, I just got back from Alaska and I'm going to the West Coast again in a couple of months and getting ready to announce another cruise for next year. So uh, it's, it's been an amazing, amazing, unexpected, circuitous, fun journey. Yeah, you're heading out to Tropical Think Tank. Yeah, man, I am super stoked. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, Disney guy, you're going to Philippines for work? And like, how does that happen? I'm like, I have no idea. I've heard good things about that conference. I think it's the third year now. So everyone, that's got, everyone that goes either as a speaker or even as an attendee, they, they, rave, right, they rave about it. And it's really um, one of the best and, and, and most interesting uh, and diverse uh, conferences is, is what I hear. Yeah, and I love Chris Ducker. I've known him for uh, a number of years. I've met him at conferences. And uh, yeah, the people who come back from uh, Tropical Think Tank say it's a life-changing experience. So um, I'm honored to be a part of it. It's going to take you probably a day to get there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I try to explain to my kids, like, kids, the Philippines is literally on the opposite side of planet Earth. I did uh, one trip years ago. Uh, I had a friend that I met when I was in Amsterdam, and, and a couple of years later, he's like, "I have a ha- my parents have a house in Koh Samui in Thailand. Do you want to come? I was like, free room and board? Yeah, sure. <laughs> and it was one of, it's almost like one of those things you have to do at least once, travel across the world, and that was like 26 hours to get there. Wow. <laughs> but it was fascinating because you literally feel like you're in another world. Like You don't know the language. You, you kind of recognize the food, everything's cheap. And it's, I, I think it's that, that everyone needs that experience where they really, really feel like most tourists feel when they come here, right? Yeah. And I think you learn so much through travel. Um, it really is the most um, impressive learning experience you can have. What was the, the biggest, uh, speaking of travel and moving, what was the biggest shift for you um, being a, uh, a Jersey boy and, and having to move to Florida, I, obviously, you know, you had made that, that point mentally. So you knew that you were going to end up there sooner or later. But was there, was, there, was there anything you missed maybe besides the pizza? Dude, you hit it, man. I, the only thing I miss about New Jersey is the food. Like, man, a, a good pizza, a really good everything bagel, and that's about it. Yeah. And good, like good, crusty Italian bread. Uh, that's all I miss from Jersey. How often do you get back up there? Uh, not often. <laughs> I really, because when you move to Florida, everybody comes down here to visit you. Yeah, of course, because they love the weather. Yeah. Was there, um, um, but weather-wise, is it, are you in a, an area that has to deal with a lot of uh, hurricanes or things like that? No, everybody said, oh, you're going to move to Florida. There's storms all the time. And Jersey got like slammed with three storms, like Hurricane Sandy came in, you know, uh, and I feel bad because I still have a lot of family and, and friends there. But, you know, it's a different lifestyle here. Even taking Disney out of the equation, man, it's just a slower pace and the people are friendlier and there's palm trees and the sun's always shining and you never have to shovel sunshine. And it just it's just a different way of life. You never have to shovel sunshine. I love that. 
Well, it's funny because I can relate because we moved, you know, like I said, my wife is Colombian and she's like, uh, polar vortex enough. Like that's it. And we were in New York during Hurricane Sandy too. And I was like looking outside the window. We lived in the East Village. The water was up to the tops of the car windows. There was a boat coming by at like 3 a.m. on Avenue C just (laughs) looking for people. I was like, this is crazy. (laughs) So, I mean, uh, but I can relate to the palm trees. I'm staring at some outside my window right now, and it's just a therapeutic effect. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and I and I have gone back to Jersey, and you know, you land in Newark Airport, and it's gray, and everybody's mad, and they're yelling at each other. I'm like, I, I don't. And they're still doing construction in the same place they did construction ten years ago when I left. So I don't, uh, I don't miss it at all. So um, bringing it back to the the, the podcast, um, would you say that there's things that you learned uh, or that you were surprised about over over the past you know like it's going on 10 years now you said that you've been doing this um and when you think about where you were when you started um any specific insights you think you you've learned either in yourself or or through the people you've spoken to yeah i I, um you know not to sound overly poetic but every day is a learning experience for me and and i wasn't kidding when i said before that uh even the production of my podcast and the content that I produce and the way that I do it, I'm still always trying to learn. I'm, I'm still always trying to improve. And obviously there's there's new technologies out that make it easier to create, easier to consume. Um, you know, we, we've talked uh, in the past 10 years, a lot of us old guys in podcasting about – you know, the, the growth of podcasting and then the bubble bursting and then this is now the renaissance or the second revolution or the movement or whatever, whatever it is that's going on now. So it's, uh, it's an exciting time. I think podcasting, I think we're still at the very, very tip of the podcasting iceberg in terms of uh, saturation of the medium and the ease of consumption. And once it gets much easier to consume in cars and even on your phones and and uh, and things like that, um, I think the the growth potential for this medium is still huge, huge. Are th- are there things that you're as you think about um, the show that you're the the show itself growing? Um, are, are there challenges that you see uh, ahead of you? As you, I mean, are you looking to maybe ex- expand the brand a bit more? So I'm always looking to do what's next. Um, I'm always looking to expand. Everybody's like, well, don't you ever sleep? I'm like, no, man, I don't want to sleep. Like, there's too much exciting stuff to work on. So I am always looking to see what I can do to expand uh, the reach, um, to be sort of on the the cutting edge of of whether it be technology or just um, different type of experiences that I can offer people. So, you know, I've been live broadcasting you know, weekly since like 2007. So I dig what I'm seeing happening on things like Periscope and other mediums like that, because I think the the real time interaction and engagement is what was lost in podcasting and pushing out content, which I was always starved for. So I love the fact that that podcasters are getting more into having that very authentic, very real time. Um, not just pulling back the curtain on themselves, but getting to sort of interact with, with their audience as well. Yeah, it's, it's, we live in interesting times. And I can imagine what it was. It was exciting, I imagine, when you started. But now there's, there's so much happening that, uh, you know, everyone, everyone thinks, oh, it was late when I got started, you know, three or four years ago or, or maybe no, no, last year. Oh, it's too late to get started. But even the people that are coming in now, I, I think, um, you know, as much as people hate to throw out the, the Renaissance word, there's uh, it's it's really fun times to, to be podcasting right now. Yeah, and there's no such thing as being too late or too early or too soon. Listen, if you want to do it, just go do it, and you'll find your voice and you'll find your way. But it is exciting, and it's exciting for me too, having been in the space for so long to watch what's happening. And I love watching new people starting to podcast because the thing that differentiates this than things like terrestrial radio, where you have to choose at 917 who you're going to listen to and you can't fast forward and you can't go back. And if you miss it, it's gone. There's room for everybody, man. Like we can all win. Like I want to see us all win. There's hundreds of Disney podcasts. And I think there's room for everybody because you can go back and you can pause and you can find the host or the content or whatever it is that you like. So um, it, it's a very, very wide, very deep pond. And I think everybody should come in because the, the podcasting waters are very, very warm. Um, so I, I think just, just wrapping it up, I, 
and you may have touched on it a, a bit earlier, but anything that you didn't cover in terms of stuff that's got you excited, you know, really excited about what's happening in our industry, excited what's happening with you and, and what you're doing, um, what comes, what come, what's top of mind for you? I think as an industry as a whole, rather than just you know worrying about me, I, I think what I'm excited to see is the shift. Um, I'm starting to see the shift because podcasting, you know, for a while and really even more so now, is no longer the hobby that kids did that 14 year old kids were doing in their basement. Podcasting is serious, serious business, and you see celebrities and big brands not making fun of podcasters anymore, but jumping into the space and not not always monopolizing the space, right? It doesn't matter what that, you, that you're a big brand because you could be a little guy and still dominate a certain, uh, a certain genre or a certain topic, whatever it might be. But more importantly, as the old guard starts to shift away, I think you're going to continue to see the monetization of podcasts growing in, in a way that we still can't fathom because when the old radio and TV guys and magazine and newspaper guys start to go away and the new ad buyers start coming in going, hey, look at this guy. He's a trusted influencer with an incredibly targeted, loyal demographic. And look at what this medium offers that the other ones don't. All of a sudden, the money is going to start to shift. And I think we're just starting to see that now because, as you know, there's a lot of guys. Uh, you know, I'm not the only guy making a living a- as a podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who is who's, uh, your, your, your mentor when you th- I mean – it doesn't have to be podcasting, but when, when you think of that word, um, who comes to mind? So my, I lost my dad uh, a few years ago, but my dad still is my mentor. Uh, he still sort of hangs out on my shoulder. So uh, when, when he died and I sort of had to become the patriarch of the family, all of a sudden this, 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 um, this pressure shifts to you are now the guy that people are looking for decisions but when it comes to me going, man, like I need to make a business decision. What do I do here? Do I pull the trigger on this? I, I sort of say, all right, what will my dad do? Like what, what's the – and the answer is always, you know, doing the right thing is always the right thing. Like you do the right thing and it will all end up working out and that's sort of the, the way I sort of base my decision. So my dad still kind of mentors me based on what I think he would do. Yeah, it's almost like, you, like they say, you just, if you lead with your heart, uh, then you really can't go wrong. Yeah, man. Um, one last uh, off-topic off question. What would you say is the most uh, misunderstood thing about you? <laughs> oh, my God, I can answer this question so many different ways. Um, the most misunderstood, you know what? Um, what you see is what you get with me. So the person that I am behind the microphone and on the show is the same person you're going to meet at a meet of the month, is the same person you're going to see you know, at the, the sushi restaurant, um, because that's who I am. And I don't try and be anybody, anything different. Cause some people are like, Oh, well, he's just, you know, he's doing a show because he must be getting paid or be, that I do what I do because I flip and love doing it, man. And if, you know, if it all went away, I'd still be a Disney fan and I'd still be talking into the mic, hoping that people would hear. Um, uh, and I think, you know, that's part of the key, man. I think being authentic and, and being yourself and, and, you know, my philosophy is it's very simple and boils down to two words. It's stay hungry. You know, you stay hungry in your business. You stay hungry in life and you never be satisfied. And look at me, man. Clearly, I stay hungry in my uh, in my personal life as well. But, um, you know, hopefully people understand that that who I am on the show and, and who I am on social and everything else is, is really who I am in real life. Well, I, I can definitely attest to that because, you know, I'd heard you a couple of times. Um, and shout out to Chris Murphy, by the way. We, <laughs> he mentioned your show. Um, uh, he said, you got to get Lou on because he's, he's really fantastic. And that's my go-to resource for, for all, 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 all stuff Disney. So, uh, And he's actually one of the guys who inspired this podcast. So I thought I'd give nice. him a, <laughs> a shout out. Um, and, and like I said, yeah, when, when I had heard about, I heard about you and I'd heard, heard the show a couple of times, and then when I met you in, in real life, I was like, well, he's exactly the same guy. <laughs> I'm taller in person. That's, what mis- that's what's misunderstood. I'm much, much taller in person. Yes, I can vouch for that. So, yeah, it's, just, it's, like, it's like he's true, he's sincere, and I imagine like your BS meter is, is pretty well attuned at this point. And when you meet someone, you, you, can, you know like within 30 seconds whether it's someone yeah. you're going to vibe with or you're going to resonate with. And those are really the type of people you want to hang out with. 
Absolutely. And, and I think you surround yourself with people that are like you and I'm a positive person. So I believe in surrounding myself with positive people and, and make good things happen for everybody. Well, uh, I really, really appreciate uh, you taking the time to come on the show. Lou. I'm, I'm really happy folks got to hopefully know a little bit more about you and maybe some Jersey secrets that <laughs> <laughs> you probably you probably thought were going to stay hidden. For <laughs> I, I keep staring at your collectibles behind you. Is there is there something there? Is there a prized possession on that wall where like if every like the, you know the whole fire the house is on fire? What do you grab? Man, I ask that question to people all the time, and I don't know my own answer. Um, I do have a, a signed copy of the, the sheet music to Mary Poppins signed by Richard Sherman, who wrote it, who I've become friends with over the years. Um, I have an old A through E ticket book from uh, Magic Kingdom back in the 70s. Um, you know what, man? At the end of the day, it's just stuff. You know, it's just stuff. Um, I, I can live without it all, but um, I might grab my Haunted Mansion bat stanchion up there. So. <laughs> Well, it's funny it's because at the end of the day, it's the memories that you have in your mind that yeah. mean, mean the most. Absolutely, brother. All right, man. Thanks again for coming on. And if folks want to track you down online, what's the best way? Cool, man. So all of my Disney stuff is over at WDWRadio.com. Uh, my personal site is LouMangelo.com, and I am at LouMangelo on all the social. Okay, so I do a little thing where I, I want to see if people listen to the whole episode, So I th- and I come up with a, a funny hashtag. I think for this one, we'll make it Jersey Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. All right, so if you listen this far, then tag uh, Lou on Twitter and myself on Twitter and hashtag Jersey Pizza. And uh, let us know you enjoyed the show. Thanks again, Lou. Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me. So what did I tell you? Is he the real deal or what? <laughs> you can't tell me that that attitude and, and, and that enthusiasm is not in, infectious. And if you had to envision like who the person on the other side of the mic would be when you listen to the show and who would have the, the necessary enthusiasm and passion for a topic um, to host a show on Walt Disney World, I think... Lou is, is the person you'd have in mind. I had a really I had a, had a blast talking to him, and we, we chatted for a bit after uh, the interview was over and about reminiscing about some of our fun times in the uh, growing up in New York and New Jersey, and we we, we actually shared some some music we had in common. Um, so it, it was fun. It's always nice when I get to, to connect with someone uh, from the East Coast because I, I feel like there's a different mindset, different mentality for growing up and and. It's nice to have points of reference that are that are similar. So you heard the you heard the uh, hashtag. It's uh, Jersey Pizza. <laughs> so make sure you, you put that in a, in, a, in a tweet to Lou and to myself, and we definitely appreciate it. If you want to sign up for the uh, newsletter, it's just uh, text three three four 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 and the word podcast junkies, all one word, and you're signed up for a PDF I put together for you that'll help you be a bit more productive with your podcast. But more importantly, it lets you stay up to date with the episodes because with all the ways to get uh, blasted from a social media perspective, sometimes um, the streams coming by so fast you get to miss uh, all the things that are in your stream, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter. So the newsletter just lets you uh, make sure that you're up to date and um, it's, a, it's a little note from me to you to, to tell you that the episode is ready and uh, I hope you enjoy it. So again, share this episode and share the podcast with friends if you're digging it to let them know that uh, you found a new show that you're really crazy about and uh, that they should check it out. Podcastjunkies.com slash iTunes. Um, the main thing there would be to subscribe. Uh, I've been listening to other folks and been reminded about this from other podcasts, but um the key thing, as much as I, I'd like a review, I think is a subscription so that you're always on a regular basis getting the shows pushed to you. So obviously there's a bunch of different ways you can get updated. Pick your poison. And uh, thanks again for listening. I, I'm bottom of my heart, guys. I truly appreciate you coming in. And it's really pushing me to be more consistent um, with the episodes, with the exception of the holiday hiccup uh, last weekend. Um, I definitely committed to getting this out weekly for you and it's really motivating me and anytime you can provide feedback that is always appreciated i think that's it have a fantastic week and uh we'll talk soon (laughs) 